Hello, hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> Man, back, back in the day, back in the heyday in Chica, this has nothing to do with what I'm about to say, but uh, we did have a video store here at one point, and there's this guy named Michael who was, uh, he would always be working there, and if you walked in with a group of five people he, into the video store, he'd say, hello, 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 hello. Is that five? I don't remember. But he would say hello for the amount of people that walked into the store. And I found that incredible. And he loved movies so much. And I was really sad when the video store <laughs> closed. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, pretty bummed about that. But I'm excited for what I'm actually going to talk about to you. And so uh, take, you have a handout there. And that's going to have some details, some verses, and some little blanks that you can fill in just uh, to keep this interactive and lively. But as always, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you chose to be here. You could have been a lot of places on a Tuesday night. And uh, you're with us right now. And so I'm thrilled about that. And I think that uh, God could have something really special for you. Tonight I want to talk about the new heart, this, this thing that God wants to do within us to free us from the captivity that we subject ourselves to. And not only does he want to release you from this, this captivity, these things that are keeping you stuck. And I know personally, like I've had seasons where I just feel stuck in whatever is going on, whatever situation I'm in, whatever I'm feeling, some patterns I'm in. But I believe that God wants to not only get you unstuck, but I believe that he wants to breathe new pur- purpose a new perspective into you through tonight's passage. And so we're going through this series called BC, and we started, it kicked off a week ago, and the premise here is just to take some concepts or passages from the Old Testament and try to make them understandable. And because this is an area of the Bible, Cody explained it very well last week, a particularly large area of the Bible that oftentimes we approach it and we're clueless about it, or we don't approach it at all. <laughs> and so the, the goal in, in my mind here is I really want to make sure that we can uh, embrace these truths, figure out how does this relate to me? And that's important for any time that we're reading the Bible. Like, what do, we, what do we do with this now? And then also, how does this relate to God's global plan of redemption through Jesus? That's a huge part of what, about what we're about at, at Challenge here. So we're going to dive into these things. I'm going to start by reading this passage, this big passage that's on the left of your outline, Ezekiel 36, 22 through 27. So just read that with me. It says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I'm the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I'll give you a new heart And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, 
and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's our meaty passage that I want to go over. It's not quite as uh, bloody <laughs> as last week's passage, if you were here for that. And so, but it's, it might be a, a little obtuse, a little confusing for us in, in our current day, in our current time as we read this. And so to help us out a little bit, I, want, I need to provide some context. So the first thing is that it's in the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament, which means that a prophet named Ezekiel wrote and said these things. It was, it was something that God spoke through him. And specifically, he was speaking it through Ezekiel to these, these Israelites, God's chosen people that were in exile. They were in captivity. They, they had been plucked from where they were, where they were living, their homeland, and they were taken to Babylon as, as essentially prisoners, as captives, as exiles. And so in this exile actually was God's punishment for their disobedience. And so this is something they kind of earned. They, they brought upon themselves because they were just not following God. And so he's like, you know what? Here you go. And, and this was this pattern. There was this pattern that had been set by the Israelites ever since God rescued them and delivered them from slavery in Egypt where he would, he would rescue them and they would be, They'd come out, for, come out of that with some momentary faithfulness and go, all right, this is awesome. Yeah, God did this for us. But then over time, they would end up forgetting about God and then fall into another state of bondage or crisis. And then God would deliver them from it. And then they would feel good about God for a little while and then rebel against him. This was a cycle that continued for many, many, many years throughout really many of the pages of the Old Testament. And so, here in Ezekiel, they're in captivity. God says that he wants to restore them. He's like, okay, you know what, this time, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna bring you back, but it's gonna be different this time. He says, I'm about to act. I will bring you into your own land. I will cleanse you. But it seems here that God even wants to change the way they are internally to keep their cycle of rebellion from happening ever again. That's, that's God's goal as he sets it forth in Ezekiel 36. So, so there, I have three truths from Ezekiel for us today. And uh, those are the, the blanks in your handout. And the first one of these is that God's glory is central. God's glory is central. It's the number one thing. Ezekiel 36, verse 22 says, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, my glory, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. God's glory is central. His priority is the holiness and the vindication of his name. He even compares it. He says, this is not for you. This one's for me. It's for, for, my, for the vindication, for the holiness of my name which you have profaned. And, and John Piper, one of my favorite authors, he says this, the most passionate heart for the glorification of God is God's heart. God's ultimate goal to uphold and is, to, is to uphold and display the glory of his name. That is God's ultimate goal. And so to, to define some terms here, when we say name, the glory of his name, this is like a signifier for who he is. 
you know, it's, it's your identity in, set, in a sense, a signifier of who you are. And then also we need to figure out, okay, what is, what is God's glory? What is that all about? And so there's an, I have another John Piper quote. He says, the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. And even then you might be like, I do not know what that means. <laughs> that's, that's reasonable. <laughs> when he says manifest, that means it's, it's perceptible. It's been manifested among us. We, we can see it in some way. There, there's glimmers of this. It is, God's glory is manifest in the things he's done for us. It's manifest in creation. It's manifest in the lives of people who've been changed by him. And then his holiness, the beauty of his holiness, that's referring to his uniqueness, his, God's purity, his, his utter perfection. And so with all that to say, once again, the most passionate heart for the glorification of God is God's heart. Think about that. It's difficult to comprehend how someone can say, it's not for your sake, but for mine that I'm going to rescue you from captivity. To maybe put a little bit of, I don't know, real life feelings about this. Picture you jump in the pool and then you realize, I can't swim. And you start floundering, you begin to drown. But the lifeguard, he dives in, swims over to you, extends his hand, and right before you can grab it, he takes it back and says, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is not for your sake. This one's, on, this one's for me, okay? It's not for your sake I'm about to save you. This is for the holiness of my name, Joe Lifeguard, or whatever. And, and he pulls you out. And maybe if you're still breathing by the time he's done saying all that, uh, you're alive. But that would be such a strange thing. It doesn't matter how heroic an act of rescue is. No human can get away with saying that, right? That's strange. And so why does God get to say this? Why does God get to say, this is not for your sake, I'm about to act? And the first of these reasons that I can come up with is that God is God. Uh, I know, I know. It sounds like I'm just being dumb, but hear me out here. What I mean there is that he is divine. He is God himself. He has preeminence, sovereignty, power. He's worthy of all glory. He's worthy of all glory. And in Isaiah, Isaiah 55, 8, he says that my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. You're in their DMs. I'm the creator of the universe. We are not the same. <laughs> I was really wondering if that was going to land. Um, thank you so much. Whew. Deep breath for David. God is God, okay? And in some way, we cannot... We can't even match or deal with that. We can't challenge that, yes? And then the second reason that God gets to say this sort of thing is because God is good. So not only is he all-powerful, he is the creator God, but he is also, he's good. He's trustworthy. I love this idea that not only does he know what's best for you, God knows what's best for you. He knows everything. 
And so that's what makes him God. He knows what's best for you. But on top of that, he wants what's best for you. And that makes him good. God knows and wants what's best for you. He is God and he is good. And another element of, of the combination of these two facts, that God is God and that God is good, is that God's glory is our good. God's glory is our good. As you get to know God by experiencing his glory, you're, you're blessed by that. He knows, he knows everything in the universe, and he knows that the best thing for you is, is his glory to be known. Not, not even just to you, but to, but to all nations. Like he said, that the Israelites had profaned his name among the nations. He says, I gotta, I gotta vindicate my name for the, sake, for the sake of my name, for the sake of my glory being known among the nations. And ultimately, it's even good for them. It's even good for you when he puts you through these things. And it's good for you when he delivers you from them. And so, but it is in all of our best interests, it is, it is best for us, for, for God's glory to be maximally achieved among us. Another, another John Piper quote, I really like this guy. He says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so, and then this goes also, yes, for for the nations, for the people around us who are also in need of him, in need of knowing him through his glory. And so this is helpful. This reality prompts us to take the focus off of ourselves because our struggles that God puts in our lives, that God allows in our lives, and our deliverance out of those struggles are ultimately for God's glory. I was, uh, today I was praying for a friend. He's going through a really hard time. And uh, I, I, I wanted to pray for him. He asked me to pray for him. And, I, and so I sat down to do so. And I, was, I had these things on my mind. And I, and I asked God, God, glorify yourself through, through this friend of mine's, through his situation. Please, like, help him. And, and, and this is, my friend, his problem is that in this, in this scenario, he can't help himself. Only God can help him from this particular situation he's in. I'm, God, I'm like, God, please just rescue him from this. And I pray that you would be glorified through the rescuing of him from this situation. Be glorified by, by revealing yourself to him so that he can know you better and praise you for the rest of his life as, you, as you've delivered him from that. And, and use that situation in the people around this, this guy to really see, wow, God, is, God was good. God, God saved him from this situation. And that's, that's what I want us to appeal to in, in prayer. And so that was, and you can even think about this in regard to your own problems, your own things that you go through, it's for God's glory. And we can appeal to his glory going, God, please just, I just want to be used by you for your glory. Please deliver me from this situation. 
But as Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. Not my glory, but your glory be realized. And finally, before I move on to the next point, Habakkuk 2.14, this is another prophet in the Old Testament. He says, he prophesies, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so this is a coming reality that, that we look toward, that the Bible prophesies about. And you and I can be a part of that because as we choose to bring glory to God in our lives, and as we choose to look around and do, try to do what's best for spreading the glory of God among the people around us, among the nations, then we can be a part of spreading that knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so that's, that's a, a special purpose that we, are be, that we are called into as followers of God. My second point is that God's holiness is required. First, God's glory is central and God's holiness is required. Back in Ezekiel 36, it says, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. You see, our sin, our rebellion, our idolatry, putting anything before God, and, and the, even the consequences of those things separate us from God. And in ancient Israel, at sort of, you know, around the time that this, this thing was being written in Ezekiel, God had set up these extensive laws of cleanliness and purification, which had, and, and these things had multiple functions. Well, it was, it was cleaning them from their sin, cleaning them from defilement. And one of the functions was so that they could draw near to God and experience fellowship with him. Because God is, as we saw earlier, holy. He's holy. And just like a burning fire, the Bible describes God as a burning fire, it's going to just roast anything that comes too close to it that can't, that can't handle the heat. But if you can be cleaned, if you can be refined to, to a pure form for God to use, then, then you can handle the heat. That's, that's what we see in the word. And so we can actually move into fellowship with God through, through this clean, cleanliness. And that's what we saw happening with these, with these laws that were established in Israel. So that was one function. Another function of the purification laws was to set Israel apart from the nations around them. That's what holy means, set apart. It was designed to set them apart from the nations around them. And so for us, our purity, our holiness, our cleansing rightly represents God to the nations. Our holiness rightly represents God to the nations, to the people around us, to our classmates, our family, our friends. 
And in Leviticus 27 through 8, this is just smack dab in the middle of, of these laws. It says, so set yourselves apart to be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep all my decrees by putting them into practice, for I am the Lord who makes you holy. That's, that's interesting to me. What that means, in a sense, is that we can't create or manufacture our own holiness. He says, I am the Lord who makes you holy. You are not the Lord who makes you holy. He says, I am the Lord who makes you holy. Which means that we're, we're in need of his cleansing, of in Israel times, his ritual cleansing in order, to, in order to be clean, in order to be set apart as holy, in order to follow him. And at the time this was, this was written, God made the people holy through these cleansing rituals. And those, those rituals, they were time-consuming. They were burdensome. They made life, like, harder. <laughs> but it, it was enabled them to draw closer to God and to set them apart from the nations. But now he has made a new way for us to be made holy as he is holy. So we don't need to go through those rituals, those laws anymore. He's made a new way for us to be made holy. And that leads us to the third point. God's spirit is available. God's spirit is available. He goes on in this passage, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirits within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what we see here, there's no more captivity, no more cycle of rebellion and rescue. But, but no, he's just like, it's just gonna be the way you are now. This is gonna be a, a, a matter of the heart. And so this is something, this is this um, future tense, right? I will do all this for you. I will put my spirit within you. And this was truly something that was not available to them at the time that this, these words were penned by Ezekiel. And so this was realized in what's called the new covenant and is explained in this next verse by Jeremiah, which says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Our outward problems, our outward things where we our, our inclination to glorify ourselves instead of glorifying God, or our inclination to, to walk in unholiness. These are the problems that we face, and we can't sort them out on our own. These can only be solved inwardly. Those outward manifestations show us what's wrong on the inside, and they can only be solved inwardly. And so Jesus ushered in the new covenant. The, the New Testament of the Bible kicks off talking about the coming of Jesus, who is the fulfillment 
of what Ezekiel promised, prophesied to the exiles. And so it's in Jesus, God poured himself out. God became a man and lived among us, perfect, holy, living a life glorifying to God, and then died the death that we deserved in order for us to be made right with him, in order for us to experience this new heart that he wants to implant within us in order to to cause us to obey, to cause us to walk with him. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. We can be brought to God through Christ's sacrifice. We can experience fellowship with God through Jesus' sacrifice. And so if you've never believed on God for your salvation before tonight, then I encourage you to, to get right with God. I encourage you to talk to somebody so that they can lead you in trusting in him and making him the Lord of your life so that you can be made alive in the spirit, like that verse says. And then salvation, though, is just the beginning. See, Jesus has set you free for a purpose so much bigger than yourself. See, after he rose from the dead, he said this to his disciples. Jesus said this in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That leads us back to the beginning, making God's glory known among the nations, right? And so the, the sequence is actually reversed from what we see going through Ezekiel. Whereas we, we need to first receive God's spirit. We need to experience that new heart, that heart surgery, that transformation that happens only through him and his spirit working within us. And so only then can we live out God's holiness, his perfection. And, and then only when we are doing that can we properly reflect and display God's glory. And so there's kind of an elephant in the room here. And that is that all these things Ezekiel's talking about or Jeremiah's talking about uh, have to do with God's people that has to do with Israel. And they're saying Israel and Judah and all these different kind of things that are used to describe it. And these promises apply to them. And so you can sit here in this room and go, okay, how does this apply to me then? Well, a transfer occurred with Jesus. With this new covenant, a transfer of God's people occurred that we see crystal clear in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. This is Peter writing to Christians. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So if you are a follower of Christ, you are part of God's family. You are God's chosen people. 
And so imagine, I want you to imagine what our campus, what our city, what our world would be like if each of us as God's chosen people took this verse seriously. Proclaim that we have been chosen in order to, it says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The question is not whether you should proclaim his excellencies. The question is not whether you should proclaim his excellencies, but rather ask, how am I going to use my life to proclaim the excellencies of God who called me out of darkness and into his marvelous glorious light. Let's pray. Father, you are holy, you are worthy, and you've chosen to redeem us by no merit of our own. And so we look to you, understanding that you are the the one who makes us holy. You are the one who supplies us with any chance of going to heaven, with any chance of making a difference in this world, in this life for your glory. And so put put something in our hearts to to change us in a spirit-filled way, not in the way that we're going to try and muster up and, and make happen on our own, but your spirit is willing and you want to lead us in whatever application we want to take from tonight. And continue to reveal yourself to us as we discern how we can use our lives to proclaim your excellencies for the rest of our lives, for your glory, for your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.